podcast. This is Jeff, soldier, photographer, anthropologist. This is Renee. I'm a writer, teacher, graphic designer, someday dreaming of doing a high kick. And I am Scott, and I am a filmmaker and a commercial photographer. And this week we are going to be talking about kind of uh, representation and, and whitewashing and how stories are told. And Renee, if you could kind of lead us into that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about how this became a, a hot topic recently in the media with uh, Scarlett Johansson's comments about wanting to be able to play anything, including a tree. And what, what it sort of prompted for us was this idea, this larger idea, which is who gets to tell stories, who, who owns uh, ideas, who owns narratives, and who gets to represent them and play them in film and media and story, music, all of those different ways that we do art. Yeah, so Scarlett Johansson, as you mentioned, she, she was doing an interview recently, and she mentioned that she should be able to cast any, she should be able to play any role. And this is following um, a couple of controversies she's had in the past. One where she was cast and played what it what is traditionally a Japanese character in in the remake of Ghost in the Shell, and then she was also cast as a trans male in the movie uh, Tug and Rub, and actually pulled out of that show out of that project because of all the backlash received. So she's she's been at the receiving end of a lot of criticism for this, which is where kind of where her statements come from. Um, but Scott, if you, you as the only person here who has actually done any casting, working commercial film in the past, um, could you kind of walk us through what kind of what the history of of this of this issue is, and maybe how it's changed over the years? Yeah, sure. And I, I think you know we can go back a long ways. First, I want to say there's pretty hilarious memes oh, of um, Scarlett, a tree with an apron. I think one in particular that says Scarlett Johansson on it. So, um, so people have noticed what she said, and it, it struck a chord. And interestingly, I think we can, in some ways, we can kind of draw a line back to the '80s, um, and and maybe why she thinks that way, and even maybe defend her just a little bit for why she might feel that way, whether or not we feel like defending her that, you know, we, we can we can kind of think about that. So I'll always defend Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. I mean, okay. Artistically, so, I, I defend her. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's a, it's a fascinating question. I mean, so this, this idea of sort of appropriating roles, right. I mean, there's been a shift. You go all the way back to blackface, which is deplorable, right. I mean, in that instance, you have white people who are just basically saying that people of color are inferior and we're going to make fun of them by playing them. Caricature. Yeah, car total caricature. You move forward a little bit and um, and you can do this with, you can play this with just about any group. It's, it can be like sort of like Tetris for which group fits in here. But, you know, looking at like Native Americans, right, you have people like um, Rock Hudson and Burt Lancaster. Um, really super white guys, right, playing Native Americans. and You have Audrey Hepburn playing a Native American woman in a movie. And even as you move all the way up into, remember, you guys remember, like, the crying Native American guy? He, he, I'm a little older than you oh, are. But from, from the... It was, a, it was from a the commercial about yeah. lettering. Oh, yeah. That's You've seen that, that right? Yes. He, is, yeah. he is not Native American. Well, he, was an Italian, he was an Italian guy who actually changed his name when he got the role so that people would say, oh, this, this, this commercial or public service announcement really was, you know, it features this, you know, sort of noble American. Well, they hired a, an Italian guy to play a Native American guy because they liked the way he looked, basically. He went on, by the way, to get some other roles. 
as Native Americans um, using, let's see, his name in that was uh, Iron Eyes Cody. Um, Iron Eyes Cody, by the way, his real name was Aspera de Corti. So if you if you see those again and that little glycerin tear going down, you'll know that that wasn't that 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 was a case where the the native. Um, <coughs> All right, we're all going to cough now. <laughs> Let's just make a note of that. that was... Try so hard. Not to... I, I saw the effort. I thought for something you were about to spit it all out. That's what I thought I was, on the computer. Yeah. I, it, was, it was a debate about which direction <laughs> I was going to go. You all right, that's we... really good. You're doing great. And I'm taking notes on content and time code. Okay, are we it's still, still, still going? going? Still rolling. So okay. tell me when you're going to start. So again. you know sure. what's interesting about that? Though? Yeah. Because I almost, I mean, I assumed that person wasn't Native American. Yeah, I, mean, I did too. I just, there was a time, an era when all you, you knew everyone behind a quote unquote ethnic person was a white person. Like, I just grew up with that assumption. Oh, you assumed that the guy on TV was not, was Native, not Native American. See, I assumed he was. Oh, no. But I'm a white guy. Right. And when I was a kid, I was a white kid. Right. And I didn't even, I was almost race blind yeah. when I was a kid. I grew up in Southern California. I just, just you know, I, when I watched F Troop, Right. You know, and they had Chinese people who worked in the kitchen and they had Native Americans and they were all white guys and white women who were just, you know, their eyes were stretched out. They were had dark stuff on their face. Um, but I, I wasn't even in a position where I could question it back in the 70s. But, you know, adults probably should have been. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. So. So this thing happens in the 80s. So in 1982, you get this movie that's called My Year of Living Dangerously. And it's Mel Gibson, boo, right? Mel Gibson and Linda Hunt plays a Chinese Australian little person. This is this is based on a real person, and she's a photographer. Peter Weir, who's the director of that movie, says, I hired the best person to play that role. So what he did was he hired a white woman of small stature, but not a dwarf, to play a Chinese Australian dwarf in a movie. Ouch. And she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. And she probably would have said, much like Scarlett Johansson just said, it's okay because I should get hired to play a role that I'm the best at. And it actually, at that time, was considered a pretty noble thought, right? And it changed the way that we looked at casting people. And instead of sort of thinking about, you know, what are you, we were starting to think about, okay, what can you play? What can you, what can you play? And I don't think that that came from a place of being a bad thing, but I think what happened is that that you know people started to appropriate roles when there were probably other people. You know, I don't know how many Australian Chinese dwarves there were just hanging out on the back lot looking for that role. But if you were one, I think you could say. I'm, I'm I'm a little confused. So what what's the change though? Because you had John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. Yeah, you, you had a history of yellowface and blackface and and. But but in this instance, she won the Academy Award for supporting actor in that movie, and there was a lot of discussion about it. Like probably she won because she was a woman playing a man, and it changed the way producers well. thought. Did I not say that that she was playing a man? Maybe I didn't. No. Okay. Oh, no. So there were it changed the way that producers thought about hiring people, and so what changed 
so the only so the only thing I hear is that they just came up with a new justification for hiring the white person. Um, you could look at it that way. I mean, I was I was one of those people who was cast. I mean, I wasn't casting movies, but I was casting you know some television commercials and things like that back then. And it really changed how we thought about like if I saw um, a a role for like this would be really a typical. If, if we had a role for a Hispanic person and an Italian person came in and they play, they could do the accent and stuff like that. We didn't give a second thought. So I'm part of this. We didn't give a second thought to hiring the person who could play that role because an actor would say, well, as an actor, it's my craft to be able to change, you know, think of Idris Elba. Al Pacino is not Hispanic. Yeah, right. I mean, think about Idris Elba in both the wire and the American office, right? In those, Here's a a black guy, which has nothing to do. He's playing a black guy in the, in the movie here, but he's playing an American. Should we say Idris Elba? I'm sorry, you're a phenomenal actor, but you can't play an American. He can do the accent, right? He can pull it off. So that was that was sort of the the the, the thinking. And then over the last sort of 25 years or so, we've realized that what that has done is that that has closed people out of roles. That there are, it's it's been easier because white actors and actresses have had privilege along the way, and men have had privilege over women along the way in Hollywood, and so it has blocked people out. So the changing has been, the thinking has been kind of changing on that, but it obviously hasn't completely changed. And so I trace Scarlett Johansson's comment back to that thinking. Yeah, I, it, purely on an artistic level, I don't disagree with her. I think what we're looking at, and maybe Jeff, you can talk a little bit about this, is where does this fit within an industry where gatekeepers are working very hard to keep out people who are perfectly able to do that representation for themselves? Right. And that's that's where, so it's the, the idea behind it, I don't think is is problematic. It's the practice that we put into place about how we are hiring people and choosing. And I think that, ex, that excuse of, um, you know, in this day and age of saying this actor can do it isn't the same thing as saying this actor should do it. And back yeah. in the day, too, um, you know, there was thought amongst us that there just aren't Asian actors out there. And that's not necessarily true. What it was is that maybe Asian actors hadn't had the opportunity to develop into somebody who would be able to show up at a maybe casting directors won't weren't sending Asian act, you know, all of those things. So they were being blocked out and we were pretty blind to it. I, I think really that there's kind of two separate questions here. One one is more of an artistic question, which which can be problematic in and of itself. And it kind of goes to what the original thing Renee had asked, who gets to tell whose story? Is it appropriate for for a white American to be telling the story of a uh, diminutive a, a midget, Chinese, Australian, some ambiguous gender. I'm still not clear what gender that actual. I mean, it, was. She was she was playing a man. Okay. And yes, that happens so often. That Australian yeah. Chinese midget thing yeah. is just like. Oh. Um, but, but let me do that again because yeah. it's dwarf. Don't say the word midget. Yeah, guys. that's right. So so that happens all the time. That Australian Chinese little person thing. I mean, doesn't that just come up every day? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. So there's that kind of question, and then there's the, the structural, economic, political question of of who are the gatekeepers and who actually gets hired. So when Scarlett, so to kind of compare and contrast a couple of different scenarios, 
Asians have not been cast. Even even when it's a character like Genghis Khan, it would go to a John Wayne, not an, not an Asian actor, which is just really ridiculous. And by the way, he was a pretty horrible Genghis Khan. Yeah. Is a decent actor. I mean, everybody loved John Wayne, but he sucked as Genghis Khan. Just saying. <laughs> and then, so, so, and then you might. Then there's also questions about the second role, the, the role that she pulled out of Robin Tug. Now, in this case, it's a trans character, and there isn't. There aren't many trans actors working, but overall, there are m- numerous gay actors working across the spectrum. And even trans, I have a list of 13 trans actors that are in TV shows like Orange is the New Black and stuff like that. They are out there. Yeah, now. Right. You know, you go back 10, 15 years. There was next uh, to no the One of the Arquette siblings is probably uh, the extent of that list. Um. So, there, so there's there's the one question of just the representation of who gets to tell whose stories, and then there's the other question of um, who's actually getting hired. You know, the acting roles is a limited resource, and if Asians are being completely shut out of leading roles, then it's not fair to be telling their stories. Um, so that's that's kind of where I kind of draw the line. So I don't really have. I'm sympathetic to what ScarJo was saying, and then but. The problem, particularly if you go back to like Ghost in the Shell, the real issue was is that was that that should have gone to an Asian actor who was denied an opportunity because the assumption was there are no Asian stars that would make this film bankable. And in you know if that was even the assumption, or if it's just like Scardo is going to make a boatload of money because she's Scardo, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's that yeah. goes to some of the conversations we've had offline, right? Which is this idea that that sometimes these these production companies are making decisions, purely economic decisions. But what's so ridiculous about that is the backlash on that one. It turned out to be, um, as the reviews indicated, a somewhat not well done version of the movie. But like that, that that they're making these decisions saying we need to have a bankable star. Yet we can look and see how those movies that are diversely cast do better economically. Right. And so that idea that, yeah, they, they, there may have been a decision. She has a huge fan base um, in production. And then of course, um, you know, in the world, but that didn't trump her, um, that, that the back, the backlash from that, from that casting. So I, that movie didn't have a fair shot, even if it was a bad movie. I do not know. Did you see that one? Was it? No, I didn't know. Okay. I, it. I, I was so painful. I almost, that was one of those ones where I was like, I cannot condone this. I can't put money towards this. I can't mm-hmm. support this, what happened. And so I did not see that one. Um, but that economic push, and, and that's why I think it's ridiculous that that production companies are, are lagging on this decision, making the ship, because it just makes no sense for them. There's no, there's no economic excuse anymore for them to say, no, we don't. There, but but we need to have a Tom Cruise in this because otherwise it won't work because that's not true anymore. And you guys both make the case. I mean, I've heard you say that Marvel Studios seems to be in front of kind of trying to be a little bit more thoughtful about this. Yeah. Did I, did I get that right? I'm definitely giving them more credit so far. I, Renee is still a little hesitant on oh, giving them any credit. Okay. Right. Um, but it's, so on on a related note so marvel studios just released the next phase of their movies and it is a huge push towards um asian representation and female representation there are there's a plethora of of female-led movies if not if not 
in the title role and in a leading role in, in the project. So, um, but we will that will be another conversation for another time. And then the next bond yeah. will be a black woman. A black woman with rocked, and that's to me a perfect example of a situation where Bond doesn't have to be anything. There are people who think that Bond is a guy in a tuxedo, but 007 can be anybody that they want 007 to be. And so I think in those, particularly in those, like if we're doing a historical drama about Jakarta, you probably want people, you know, who fit that general profile. If you're doing something where you can just choose, what would be great would be to see the studios increasingly choosing diversity instead of going back to the white guys all the time. So, quick, quick, quick editorial note. Um, in, the next, in the next Bond movie, Daniel Craig is still James Bond. It's just the 007 moniker is being passed off to Latondra Lynch. But, but she will be named something different than James Bond. Right. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I, yeah. You're right. Sorry. Don't conflate this, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you guys, you're so hard on me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, and did you see there was a um, uh, Delaney King, one of her, um, and I, so maybe we talk about the backlash of that type of casting. So Delaney King had this really great text where she kind of, you know, those mock conversations put, people put out on Twitter. And one of them was like, Scarlett Johansson says, I can play anything I want. And cis, and white cis men go, yeah. And then and then it's female people, you know, POC, and it says, I am Bond. And cis, white cis men go, wait, not like that. Right, like, <laughs> right. That sort of like double standard right. of like, yeah, Star Trek can play anyone. White people can play anybody, but as soon as you cast a black woman into right. a role, it's it becomes problematic. It becomes no the purity of the no 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 that you know double seven is a is a British white man, right? And right. so that's that's where I think that that idea of who can play who um, is something that should apply across all. Also, all, all those layers. I absolutely agree with you on that. So, so I actually want to go back to to if not if not a contradiction, something two different things that you had mentioned. On the one hand, you were defending Scarlett Johansson's creative, like the creative choice to be able to play anything, but then you also said, "But I can't support that financially. I'm not putting my money behind it." Right. So, what was it about that particular project, Ghost in the Shell, where you said, "No, nope, I'm not going to do that." Where, where, where is your particular line? I, I would say that we're about 10 years out from that being the case. If, if we can get to the, a point within the movie industry, and I'll talk about writing later, but if we can get to the point in the movie industry where, it, where there are plenty of roles for people of color, when there are plenty of roles for people of different abilities, if there's plenty of roles for people with gender on the spectrum, when, when we have such an abundance that it's not quote unquote taking a role from someone else, I think when that happens, when there's like just an abundance, then it does become less and less about the race, right? When it just, when the, when the sort of status quo is, it's a great film. I cast this person who happens to be, you know, Chinese. And then, and then it's when we come, and I would like to think we're moving towards that and we can get there. I am. A little in reality a little skeptical but i think her ability to to play any role is she's a very good actress like separate from the black widow stuff i mean i think she's good in that but she has a fairly prestigious you know canon of work right um so yeah i want her to be able to play anything and do anything and that is i think the idea of going into acting is you do want to embody other people and try different things and i artistically support that but really we're 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 a ways away from that. And, and what if Scarlett just said, Scarlett, 
Are you listening? Okay. Yeah. Well, Scarlett just said, I should be able to play anything I want, and so should anybody else. And what I shouldn't do is I shouldn't get in the way of somebody else playing a role that they were meant for, that maybe I wasn't. Then, like, uh, then I'm good. It's like, yeah, play a tree, play a person of color, you know. But I think you're right, Renee. I think we're a long ways away from that. And that's, like, the difference between equality and sort of, like, equanimity. Right. We, we want equity, and equity means that there are lots of opportunities for a lot, and the opportunities will be different, but that there are lots of opportunities. And that some of the superstar people that could really, could really spearhead this maybe should be the ones in front of saying, you know, I decided not to take that role. I stepped aside. I, like I said, I don't think she needs the money. Or writers. Oh, um, some of them have been doing writing writer clauses in their contracts. Um, the uh, like Octavia Spencer was on a project with um, red hair, attractive woman. Um, oh gosh, that's Lucille Ball. Well, some people, some people have been. Some of the actors have been doing writers for female cast members, saying you have to make as much as me. Some of them have to do um, with saying, the woman who did Molly's Game. The one she. I, I want to say it's Jessica Chastain. Yes, Jessica Chastain. Okay. It is Jessica yeah. Chastain. She put in a writer for Octavia Spence. Like she was saying, like people of color in the films I'm in have to make as much. And and I think that is a way to be an ally mm-hmm. with all sorts of things. And so she is, um, I think that's that's the work people need to do. Yeah. So for me, the the distinction of where where kind of where I draw the line is one, I wouldn't criticize the worker for anything. I think a lot of times we we look at we look at the situation, we blame Scarlett Johansson. If you're if you're in the working class and Within Hollywood, the actor is the working class. Do whatever, do whatever you can do. Whatever job comes your way, take it. You don't. The, the issue is more on the studio, the management, the hiring. Um, why? Why would? Why was she even considered for for an Asian project? I wouldn't. I wouldn't begrudge her or anything, but I would go back to the studios and say, why are you even? Why are you even looking at Scarlett Johansson for this? But she has why some not? power. I was going to say, I would begrudge her a little bit. Yeah. Maybe even I will begrudge her the PR angle even. I'm like, going to give her a, a level three begrudging. And I, th- on I a think, scale of one to ten. Level and, I, and, I think, and I think she's only getting it because she's the name we know. We don't know the, the suits behind it. Right. We, none of us are going to be able to name the director, the writer, the exactly. producers. Or and it's what. totally easy to throw rocks at her. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. So I'm, to me, even though with, within the broader scheme of things, act, you know, an actor of Scarlett Johansson's level is considerably above us on the economic level. She's still in. She's not necessarily in the decision making. No matter how much clout she has, she's not really the, the power driver behind these projects. So, even though again we're talking about somebody who's making millions of dollars, it still feels like we're punching down rather than looking at the people that are actually at the root cause of of, of this issue. I do think she has individual agency to to decline roles, and and like I jokingly said, but kind of realistically, like purely from an optics perspective, you may want to look at and consider. But your lar- your point, I think, is really looking at this this the systems, right? Like, right. what is the systems of oppression that exist, and those being dismantled and and changing is an an important thing. That that pers- that is the shift I know nothing about. Like, I would like to think that that is changing. But for all we know, people are getting offered, like, would you like to play this uh, Native American person? They're not, I don't know, that could be happening all the time. Well, think about Johnny Depp playing Tonto, right? And Johnny Mm -hmm. Depp playing Tonto says, 
oh, I think I'll be a good role model for Native American kids. And it's like, so that's an but extreme version. Where he, was, just, he was the original Elizabeth Warren. He claimed like one, one, one twenty-eighth, you know, percent Indian or something, right. you know, native to, to justify being Tonto. And, and the point that I'm making with that is like, that's ridiculous. Right. You know, at least, at least if you're going to be held up by the system, at least cop to it. And just say you don't pretend it's noble. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're doing it because you're an actor. You don't want to play that role, make money. It would be, you know, I look at it as a challenge, and I hope I do it respectfully and well. Like that would be a better thing to say, I think. Than to be like, no, no, I, no, I, I'm Native American. I, yeah. I can do this. I'm Native American. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but Johnny Depp is far down on my list of role models. Yeah, so, just saying. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten about that, that it had been one of those those instances where so, you know, OK, this this may be a topic we can explore a little in a little bit depth later. But I just want to do an aside that, you know, there's a lot of hate on social media about there's this, like, you know, it's crippling our generation. It's it's making people brain dead. Social media is the worst thing that ever happened, blah, 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 blah. But I think one of the benefits of social media is that, uh, you know, cancel culture aside, that these types of movements can, like, I like that I don't just sit at home and think, this is ridiculous. Why is Johnny Depp getting cast in this? But I can go on social media and be like, you guys, this is ridiculous. And then we can, to a limited extent, talk to those faceless, nameless producers and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. And that sort of, that that movement is is possible because of social media. And I, and I really appreciate that. Even as a writer, Twitter is very scary place to be. You can get turned on pretty quickly, but it it does build these movements, and I find that really exhilarating. Actually, that it, that's part of the outcome of that. Mark out. Okay, where do we want to go from here? We're starting to kind of. You said you had some more some things to talk about in like because what we haven't done is really gotten deeper into exploring like who gets to tell that story. You've right. kind of talked about that. Did you want to talk about that more? I, yes, I do have some stuff to say about that. So we right, right now we're right at about 23, 20 or about 25 minutes. Okay. And where do we want to be? Uh, we were talking 30 to 45 minutes. 30 and then you have to yeah. put all your intro. We should record your ins and outs too. Like we're going to take a break now. We'll be right back. And then we're back. Your, well, we sponsors. Your sponsors. Oh, oh. so the, so the, so just so y'all know, this particular recording is never going to see the light of day, like because <sighs> because we don't have any of that stuff worked out. This is this is we're gonna we're gonna all go back and listen to this and make notes because it's it's not. I, oh, I think you I might think be surprised. No, no, yeah, this is yeah, this is good. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we need to come up with a name. As soon as we do that, then you guys can yeah. record a. a well, why not you kind of take? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just couldn't see. What to say? Okay. Um, why, why don't you kind of take the floor a little bit on this, and then we can jump in and give, you know, any particular sure. kind of thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we I'm also interested in this, like talking about things in different media's too, right? Like, so film is a kind of launching point, but I was just I, on my web drive over was trying to think if there was music or any other instance in which, like, uh, uh, music. Oh. There's a country western dude that's doing a rap. Oh yes, now. yes. I don't know anything more than that. I don't know what his You're name right. is. If none of us know anything about it, <laughs> yeah. I think we should have Jeff talk about that. <laughs> so, 
so there's this country rap. I know, I know the parody. It's, yeah, I mean, it's on TikTok like every other freaking yeah. every third video is uh-huh. a stupid song. Um, but that's, I mean, just going forward, I think that's what I would like to like bring to the table probably in advance is like understanding sort of how this is also playing out in, in music and writing, you know. And you, you think about it, I mean, like should a photographer not take a picture of a person of a different color than the photographer? Because that's a narrative too. Right. And I think most people would say, no, that's okay if you do that because you're kind of capturing them directly. It's, well, what if a writer could capture them directly? Right. So that That's a good question. Yeah, I'll throw it should. in. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, okay. I think we should come back with Renee talking a little bit more about writing and stuff, and then you can throw that question. Scott in. can throw that in about photography, and then you can wrap it up with something. We really only have about five minutes left. Um, so what I'll probably do is just kick it to you and say, yeah. how do you how do you approach writing for people that are outside of whatever group you're in? Is that we're not we're not starting yet? I'm just oh. so you can start preparing your. Yeah, work. yeah. Oh yeah, I got. Um, okay. All right. So we'll mark in. So Renee, as a as a writer, how do you approach? We're, we're just kind of kick this over to a different medium, but how do you approach writing for subjects that aren't uh, a mixed race female? This is a huge, huge question within the writing community. This is like this is fundamental in in, in a parallel in the sense of who gets to tell a story. And I think uh, my personal experience is is mixed race. My mother is Mexican. My father is from the British West Indies. He's Scottish, Black, Portuguese, very ambiguous. And my own process of getting becoming a writer was as I started to write, I found myself adopting what we would consider the majority narrative, which is white. And I, and I was I was writing white characters, and I had this moment where I thought why am I writing white? I'm not white. I can pass as white, which is a, its own separate experience and different conversation. But I thought, oh, I'm having an experience as a person of color that's different from the majority and sometimes an overlap with the majority. That like my experiences, like I like, I like mason jars. I also like things that are, you know, quote unquote white. And I can own those as a person of color, right? I, I, I have a claim to those as well. They're not just dominant culture and only for white people. So this experience of I'm white, just interested that you went to Mason Jar for jars. white people. I was thinking of like the, the hipsters. Because right, I was like, right. I'm kind of hipster, right? Like I'm a little hipster. And so I like a Mason Jar, like nobody's business, right? <laughs> so so that experience. So when I started to write, so I'm kind of lucky. I have my feet in multiple cultures. I don't belong to any. Culture. I grew up in very white neighborhoods and had very white experiences, but my family home fa- my family experience is different. And so I have I feel a lot of authority to move a bit between and talk about those things. But what I encounter as a teacher and also as a writer is occasionally the, the story we want to tell, it comes from a different community or culture from our own. And and it does become this question of are we giving voice to something? that is our right to give voice. What I say to students, but then also what I sort of say artistically is, we as writers, storytellers, can move into other spheres and and write from different perspectives. And we should, the whole bullshit, you write what you know, that, that can't, that's kind of gone by the wayside. We're sort of advocating for people to, to enjoy writing outside of oneself and, and to practice that. But 
the art of doing that is predicated on the ability to write that well and to write from a place of um, um, a place of not cultural sensitivity necessarily, but write from a place of humanity. And in, if you write something well, you can pull it off, but you don't get to be upset by how, by how it's received. Like that's the risk you take. You don't get to control the response people have to something. You can advocate for your right to do it, but you are taking on someone's voice and saying, I'm going to tell the story. And some people will support that and some people won't. So that backlash, you don't, you don't get to write something and then say, now, because I wrote something, I went outside of my own comfort zone. I'm, I'm exonerated from anything that I actually wrote. So that's the part that a writer has to look at is if I write this and I choose to write it in a way that I feel reflects um, a culture or community, you don't get to disagree with the community when they tell you it didn't. And I, and, and I think that's kind of going back to the ScarJo thing. I think that's like um, she, this idea of not just her, but any artist who says, any performer, someone who says, I'm going to tell this story because I can do it. I do support that. I do believe that. But you're not then immune to the backlash of that. You're not immune to people's response to that. And so that's where I think it kind of overlaps is the ability to say, um, I, I'm trying, but trying isn't enough. Like it has to be, some people might not see trying as a sufficient reason for you to do it. And that's, that's kind of what we, the risk we take as writers. I think a little bit about like WPA photographers who, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, when, um, and, and this was, at a time when the government was essentially subsidizing photography, these photographers were going out. Um, but a lot of these were really people of means, a lot of white people. Um, yeah. It did. There were some Margaret Park White and Dorothea Lang. I mean, it was a great place for women to actually go out and do some photography. But a lot of times, photographers were capturing the stories of very poor people in very dire situations and often... Uh, maybe not as often as could, but, you know, people of color were sort of part of that. And so the, there's a question that goes sort of side by side with literature. I'd be interested in what you, like, are are they, a, is that an, is that a positive um, sort of extension of their abilities to go out and to do their best to kind of capture those stories? Um, because the people in the photographs really had no say about which photographs got used. And somebody might say, I don't even live in that house, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's like, it seems to me to be both sort of a positive way to help people experience and also it can be really problematic because a photographer from that um, community might take very different photos, right? Right. right? right. And at the same time, there is this, like this idea of like, histor particularly historically, at least our faces were captured. Like we, we existed, like photography is about that. And I, maybe we should like have that as a future conversation, this idea of framing a narrative, mm -hmm. like how, because photography is editorial, it is a commentary. And so it, it has a way of, of um, saying something just by it existing. So, I, and that there's a, a photographer behind that, right? Even journalistic photography, right. there's an intent there that's human. And so that's a very sort of interesting extension of that. So um, we're gonna kind of kind of wrap this up now. Um, so this was a pretty pretty lively discussion. Um, yeah, this is fun. Pretty, yeah, we should do this again. How we, we, about so we, do we will. It again? Yeah, let's do it. We again. will be doing this again. So this is uh, this is our you know we this is kind of the uh, the child of of the YouTube channel bandwagon fans. This is our uh, we're gonna be doing this YouTube this or this this podcast regularly. 
So hope everybody gets a chance to, to subscribe and start tuning into this. And um, on that note, uh, what are some things that you guys are into this week? I know this totally stressed you out, this question, it didn't did. it, Renee? Yeah. You said, oh, I have to think about what I'm into this week. So, Renee, what are you into this week? Okay, I'm going to tell you what I'm I'm going, I'm looking forward to this week. Okay. So, first season of Fleabag came out. I had access to it. You know how a lot of us live very fragmented media worlds where it's like I've got Hulu and Netflix and thing, and I don't support Amazon, so I have Amazon, so sponsor. But, but the idea is that Flea, I had access to Fleabag. And I'm so excited for the second season to come out. And I don't have access to it. There's no way for me to get it. But I have I have a hookup for Fleabag. So I'm very, second season of Fleabag, that's what I'm looking forward to. All right, good for you. I hear people are saying great but things about Fleabag. She yeah. is amazing. Yeah. She's working on the Bond, yeah. the, the new Bond yeah. movie as well. So um, so I am on Amazon, Renee. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm watching Good Omens and just loving it. It's just totally fun. It's... um. An angel and a demon, David Tennant, um, they're trying to stop the apocalypse from happening. And they're having misadventures in the process. So it's kind of a buddy movie, and it's sort of fun. And I am going back and reading the original run of Phoenix and the Dark Phoenix from the X-Men comics. So To cleanse after, your palate from the movie. From, yeah, so to, to, it's a very good way of putting it. So. Uh, and one of the one of the all-time greatest comic book storylines. I'm going back and reading the originals, and it's been pretty cool. All right, thanks for listening. That was What the What. You can follow us on social media at, at WTW Podcast, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also email us at WTWPopCast at gmail.com. And I just want to point out to everybody that that is PopCast. So we're talking P-O-P-Cast. You can also find me on Twitter at Special Feather. And you can find me on Twitter at the BW Fans and on YouTube, Bandwagon Fans. And this is Scott. I'm available at Facebook and Instagram as Scott Grissel. Thanks for listening. We'll come back next week. <laughs>